0: Well, good day fellowship family. It's great to have you with us as we continue our series on living hope through the books of 1st and 2nd Peter. And I want to invite you if you have your Bible to open it up to 1st Peter as we continue in this and we're going to in chapter 2 beginning with verse 21. And what Peter is doing at this time in this in this letter to the churches in Asia Minor who are undergoing incredible amounts of suffering and persecution. He's telling them to draw near, to lean in to Jesus during this time of severe persecution. And, uh, you know, we're in, in a culture where comfort is king. It's really difficult to, to imagine a life that has ongoing pain and suffering because of your faith in Jesus. But I will tell you that as you bring the gospel into any place that is dark, you will have rejection and resistance. Uh, you may even be to blame for some of the problems in the world. And so we can draw near as followers of Christ when we experience suffering, when we experience rejection on account of the gospel. And you know what? Jesus told us this would happen. Jesus said in, in John chapter 15, he says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. I don't like that verse. (laughs) Just to be honest, I've struggled with that verse. Because, hi, I'm Joe. I love to be liked. I just do. I like like next to my name. It frustrates me when people dislike me, and it haunts me when people hate me. And yet, as a follower of Christ, I need to realize that every time I am hated, every time I am disliked for my faith... Uh, it is something Jesus experienced. And so when we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, we can expect this. It's something that will be fairly normal. And Peter's saying, don't be a jerk and be disliked. Don't be a Christian that's just in your face. I'm better, you're not. And, and is self-righteous as we look at the world. No, stand boldly for Christ and be confident in him and endure through times of suffering. So let's take a look at verse 21, and we'll go through each of this passage verse by verse. In verse 21 of Peter, uh, 1 Peter 2, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Look at that with me, that first phrase. It says, "Just a, I've kind of bolded it there, for, for to this you have been called. Did you realize That when you suffer, it's something God calls you into? But this is one of the... Most challenging things about faith is as I've talked to people inside and outside of a, per, a faith perspective, they've always asked this question How could God allow good things or bad things to happen to good people? Why did this person lose this child? Why are my children still living? Why would God do this to his own children? Would he really call his own children? And by the way, I mean, isn't this some type of divine child abuse that God would send his beloved son into a world? To suffer, to be rejected, to be persecuted, and then to die on the cross. What kind of message, what kind of good news is this? I hear that a lot. And I think we need to be able to respond with with gentleness, but also with grace and with truth as we navigate through the questions of our world. And even sometimes when you're going through suffering, the questions of your own heart. So why? Why does God call us to suffer? Well, I'm going to give you a short answer, and then I'm going to give you a long answer. And the first one is, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know why some of us suffer and others of us don't. I don't know why you get bad news. I don't know why every little thing that's happening in your life, or even every major thing that's happening in your life, why would God do this in my life? I don't know. But I will tell you this, that God doesn't waste it. And what many in our world would say, you're pushed to the sidelines by suffering or by trials or by pain. God says, no, you're right in my purpose. You're right in the center of what I have you do. And so Christian, realize you're not doing this alone. God is with you and he has called you to this. To this you have been called. Why? Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So how does God use suffering? That I can answer. Because then we can open up our scriptures and we can look at the lives of people, which most of the Old and New Testament is a narrative. It's a story. It's story after story. And if you read it, you will realize they weren't all smiling when they were going through pain and suffering. It wasn't all beautiful rainbows and unicorns and all those kinds of things and lucky charms and all those kinds of things that make life great. It's difficult it's difficult, and you have to endure through this, so let's take a look at how what God does when we suffer. Why does God call us to suffer? Is the first one is is that the gospel, by its very nature, will engage the fall, and by the fall, I'm talking about when Adam and Eve fell into sin when they when they were given all those trees in the Garden of Eden to eat from, but that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, That one tree, they were just told, don't eat from that. And why would God do that? Again, I've had questions on that. Why would God put a tree that would cause so much destruction in their lives right in the middle of the garden? Because God wanted them to choose every day to love him, to do life with him. He wanted it to be a choice, not an obligation. Now, we can look and make a lot of criticism on that one tree, but ignore the perhaps thousands, if not millions, of other trees God said yes to. And I think I can do that with my life. I can go, yeah, I believe that. about. I believe, oh, that's too close to home. I don't know if I really want to follow Jesus in that one, right? Well, the gospel by its very nature, when Adam and Eve fell, and they fell to God, and they fell to themselves, and they fell to each other, And all of life then has become a quest for ourselves. It's been not wanting God to rule our lives or to tell us what to do. We want to live life on our own terms. We don't want any authority. All that's an effect of the fall. And when the gospel comes into ourselves and the world around us, it brings light into darkness. John talks about that in John chapter 1. He said the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. But we'll also say that men love darkness rather than light. And so the gospel just engages that fall. By its very nature, it's going to have resistance. It's going to have rejection. And you may even have retribution come your way if you're going to stand with Jesus in our world today. But look at these first century Christians that Peter wrote to in Asia Minor. Look at what he said to them. Because the Jews among them said, wait a minute... As we read the scriptures, the Messiah, who is coming from God to be our Savior, he was not a suffering servant. He wasn't crucified on a cross and died. I mean, our Messiah is a victor. Our Messiah tells Rome what they can do with it. Our Messiah is victorious. He comes in and he rules and we rule with him. Our, our Messiah makes us better in the world. And Jesus came and he suffered And he died. Peter, you're saying, I know you saw him because he was living. He was resurrected. You're saying we need to trust that that Jesus is our Messiah. I don't know. So they gave him rejection. They gave him resistance. And then the Roman world rejected this Jesus because the Roman world had a whole bunch of different gods. They had a God of fertility they had a god of business they had a god of money they had a god of relationships they had a god of love and if you trusted in Jesus you had to throw away all those other gods to worship he alone him alone and they were they were like no way nero himself called himself god and that for them to worship nero would mean for them to reject god and so Nero blamed the Christians on the fire in Rome at this time and said, the problem with the world are Christians. So let's get them. And so they arrested and they persecuted and Christians suffered among this whole time in history. It's not good news. That's why we have so many babies crying in this environment right now. Yeah, the, the, the gospel brings in light into darkness. And it engages the fall, but we're called to enter. We're called to engage that darkness. Mark Batterson, in his book called "All In," writes of uh, a missionary who was active in the late seventeenth and early seventeen uh, hundreds and early eighteen hundreds, and his name was A. W. Milne. And Milne lived in England, or actually Scotland, and felt a call in his church to go reach people who lived in darkness, who who lived without Jesus. And he wanted to go to a least reached area in the South Pacific at that time. Everyone around Milne said, don't do it. People have gone. They've never come back. They've been persecuted. Some of them have had their heads lopped off. Some of them... We're victims of cannibalism. Don't go. And he said no. And he quoted Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. So he and his wife, catch what they do. They were known as one-way missionaries. They bought a one-way ticket on a sailing vessel to travel to the South Pacific and to reach a tribe on one of the islands there. As they left... They packed their items in coffins, because coffins were not readily uh, accessible in the South Pacific. They packed their stuff. I mean, I like to pack with the Eddie Bauer travel bag. I don't know about you, (laughs) but they had a coffin, a wooden coffin. Can you imagine just the emotional effect that taking all your stuff would do? Because they died. They died. Their life is hidden in Christ. They were willing to advance the gospel into a dark place. And so they go, and they serve for 35 years in the South Pacific. And they led on one island over 80% of the people towards Christ. And then he dies. And they take him, and they buried him right in the center of his village. And over his grave, they had a marker that said this. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Church. That's what we live for. That's what we live for. So pack your coffins. (laughs) Just not as violent of term. If I can get over myself, if I can get over my drive to promote my image, to protect myself when I'm attacked, to advance the worth or significance that I think I, if I can get over that, if I can pack my coffin, my goodness, a lot more can get done with the gospel. Church, if we don't care who gets the credit, Jesus can be made greater. In our generation, that can still happen. But it's not going to be where everyone goes, Oh, yes, the gospel, that's what I've been waiting for. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be resistance. There's going to be sometimes even retribution. And so the gospel, by its very nature, uh, invites us or engages the fall. And second, it invites us to follow it invites us to follow. Let's go back to that verse, because this has been our, our key verse for the week, if you've been following along in our Living Hope book. And this is our memory verse. It says, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Look at that. Leaving you an example. That word "example" is a Greek word in the Greek New Testament, and it's only used there. And you have to look outside of the New Testament on how that use was that was used in the Hellenistic society. And, and to really, but here's what it sounds like. That word "example," hupo gramon, hupo gramon. And if you just kind of slow down and just say that last part, gramon, that's actually where we get our word "grammar." And hoopo means to write over. So the best I can remember what this word means is, remember these? Remember these? How many of you are raising kids and you're doing that right now? Yes, yes, you know that. But even closer, it shows you exactly how to do it. You make the circle first and then the straight down for the A, right? Midline, right, straight down. And you do this first and do this second. And I, re- ever, I, I, I even remember having it, just having my kids trace over that because it shows them how to do it. Now we've grown up and that's why we have grown up coloring books and we have paint by number, right? Because um, there's something just soothing about getting the having the hard work done. We just come and we make the colors. We make it beautiful, don't we? Just relaxes us. And then paint by numbers. How many of you have done paint by numbers? Yeah, I've got to do paint by numbers. I'm not an artist. Some of you go, I don't need that. I'm naturally talented. God bless you, man. I've watched all the Bob Ross videos in the world, and my clouds are never happy. They're never happy. They're depressed. They're depressed. I'm not an artist. So I need something. And you, you know, a YouTube video, if I'm doing, I, I wish I was a handyman. I really wish I was a handyman. So I go onto YouTube and I look how to repair something. They make it look so easy. I'm out there with my iPad and I'm, you know, pressed and they can do it in 30 seconds. It takes me 30 hours. And the time lapse, it just makes it look so simple, but it's so difficult. We need an example. We need an example. And what Peter is saying is here is, this is Jesus. He lived through suffering. He endured suffering. Follow in his steps. He left you this He He traced out how you can live through times of suffering. So before we move on, let me just ask you, who's your examples in life right now? Whose lives are you looking at as you trace and how to navigate through difficulties. I just think through different aspects of my life that God has provided some pretty awesome examples in. One, um, like my marriage. I, I have, over the last 17 years, struck up a friendship with Rick Tagg. And Rick Tagg speaks into my marriage. I'm able to speak into his marriage. One thing I see, I mean, if anyone just shows me how to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I hear how Rick is listening to his wife Even when they don't agree, he's trying to understand his wife. Um, He loves her. He's sensitive to her. And I go, that's how I want to be. He's one of my examples for marriage. Then I think about raising kids. And, of course, when my uh, three little boys, when our three little boys were young, I, I just, I didn't know what to do. I just got together with a group of guys. And I go, what's happening in your house? You wouldn't believe what my kid did this week. And we go, wow, my kids aren't that bad after all. One even, said, one even said, man, where did they hear that word? I mean, I thought no one was listening in the backyard. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know I, when when things when we're over our heads in challenges, we need examples. And I remember uh, some Bible studies I did with a group of guys, and we just said, no, that's the direction we want to take in raising our kids. We want to end the patterns of what was given to us in our families. And we want to love our kids. But we don't want to worship our kids. We want to love Jesus with everything. And we want to pray that they love Jesus more than anyone else. Because then they'll love others the way Jesus loves them. A good examples so who could do that. And then I even remember here at, on our church staff. As we've grown and had different challenges. A guy by the name of Greg Pruitt. Who's also one of our elders. Has just helped us navigate through relational conflict. And you know, you may think working in a church is beautiful. If, if I could just quit my job and work in a church, all my problems would go away. No, because I'm here. Because I'm here, and I'm a broken individual. And I tend to be more driven, and sometimes I can step on toes, and sometimes I can ignore people and, and their feelings. And what. And Greg has just helped us listen and helped me listen to really understand people and, and then to respond appropriately. That's really been a blessing. He's been a great example. And Peter is saying here is when you go through suffering, you need an example because you're over your head. And that's why you're never alone with Jesus. He's the one, the suffering servant who lived for you, who died for you, who rose again, and teaches you how to engage suffering. So our example. Here's what, what we can expect when we hold on to the hand of Jesus when we go through suffering. In suffering, we're going to experience the example of Christ. If Christ is our example, look at how Peter really draws this out of who Jesus is and what he did when he went through suffering. Take a look with me in verse 22 and 23. It said, he, being Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued to entrusting himself, continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Look at the example of Christ that we see here. And by the way, as you read this, if you've read a little bit in the Old Testament, one of the famous chapters in the Old Testament is from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. He prophesied how the Messiah would come and he wouldn't be accepted. He'd actually be rejected. And he wouldn't be embraced. He'd be afflicted. And he would ultimately be and pay the price for our sin. But he would be the suffering servant. And so if you can kind of see images of that, let me just read Isaiah 53 to give you that. And specifically, verses 5 through 7. It says, but he, this Messiah, is, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. On him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. This is the picture and the imagery that Peter's drawing on. And he does it with uh, with a motive. And that is he wanted to bring all those who were resisting and rejecting Jesus to see that there is an Old Testament precedent, that this Messiah would not come in this human power and military or political strength. He would come as a suffering servant and he would pay the price price for their sins. But he also drew back because... He had the scriptures, but just the Old Testament scriptures. We now have the New Testament scriptures. He went back and said, lean into God's word. Look what God's saying to you. This is what Jesus did for you. And it's been prophesied and it was fulfilled in Jesus. So this is authoritative in your life. Follow Jesus, lean into him. That's a substitute. But look at this. What does this mean for us? I mean, what does this mean for us as the example uh, of Christ when we experience suffering? Well, look at that passage again. It says that he committed no sin. What does this mean? This means that when we're suffering, we need to pray for godliness and pray for the goodness of God in the midst of an evil environment. Here, Christians were suffering unjustly. They didn't deserve this. They were put in prison. So how were they to live? Because, boy, that could make us bitter. We go, where's my lawyer? You know, we could, we could do that and just be ticked and depressed and frustrated. And what Peter is saying is, no, like Jesus was godly, like Jesus was showing goodness in the midst, but like Jesus who said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We too are to be people who show the goodness of God. And if you just trace this principle throughout the New Testament, specifically the book of Acts, You'll see how Paul, when he was arrested, he was showing the goodness of God in his life and literally guards came to Christ because of how he behaved and how he shared Christ in the midst of persecution. Look what else it says. It says, no deceit was in his mouth. When you're tried or accused, it's really easy for you to make up lies. It's real easy for you to you say, I was framed. This is unjust. It's real easy for us to do that. But here it's saying that honesty and honor should be in our, in our speech. When we go through times of suffering, it says, Jesus, when reviled, he did not revile back. And we don't usually use this, except maybe Scrabble might be a good name. We use the word revile. But what does it mean? Vile means offensive or... or um, uh, it means offensive or like it stinks. And when, you, when someone charges you or gives you offensive language, you don't revile that back. And he did not threaten. I think that's the temptation for us when we're accused or when someone talks behind our back and someone says something about us and it gets back to us. My typical, I mean, my temptation is, is to go, God, get them, amen. You know, just to, to threaten them or to get revenge. And that's the pattern of our world. And revenge just begins a cycle that's never ending. I mean, my whole background, my nationality, is generations of revenge, of hatred. Our country has that cycle running through it racially also. That's not that's not the solution to this. But you did. But you did. It's time for us to have a different perspective, because Jesus—and look at that last statement there—he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus came the first time as a le- uh, as a low and meek and a humble suffering servant. He will come the second time, and when he returns, he will be the judge. He will be the judge, and we need to realize that God is watching. And it does no good for us to say god get him It does much better for us to trust ourselves in the justice of god knowing he will do a far better job than any of us could do And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of the father So what do we do when it doesn't make sense when it's not fair we entrust ourselves to our father That's what we get to experience when we see the example of Christ. Secondly, we experience the substitute of Christ. And take a look at verse 24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, this really shows us the substitute of Christ. And look at what it shows us he did. It says, Our sins he bore His death means our life. Our sin, he took the place of and it bore it on himself. And so that now instead of our sin, we have his righteousness. And by his wounds, we are healed. Do you see how just Peter shows us that everything we have with God is because Jesus took the hit. And that's why the emblem, the sign of biblical Christianity, is the cross. The cross is not a powerful place. It's a place of weakness. It's a place of suffering. It was the curse of life in the Roman world. No one in their right mind would hold up a cross in the Roman world. It would be like the worst curse. It would be like you holding up a coffin or you holding up a gravestone. This is my life. It was the place of death. And yet, for us, we celebrate that because that's where Christ took was our substitute. And there's no substitute besides Christ. He's the one and only. He's the only one who could do it. And he died on the cross for us. Theologians call this the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Where Jesus took our place on the cross. I don't deserve the righteousness of God. Jesus didn't deserve to die. But he willingly suffered so that I could have the righteousness of God in my life. And I just want to remind you, if you're still kind of seeking after what's right and what's true and what's, what's good to believe in, uh, biblical Christianity does not say that Christians are better than anyone else in this world. Matter of fact, <laughs> I know some atheists who are better than us and doing more things than we're doing. What? What we're here about is not that we've lived these awesome lives this week or that we're going to live these awesome lives next week. It's that we all need Jesus and we needed the substitute. and We'd we and we trusted that Jesus is enough to restore us back to God, to restore us back to ourselves and restore us back to each other. It's only because of Jesus. He's our only hope. But here's what I am saying, you are not called to be Jesus in the sense of taking the place of his role in people's lives, but you are called to suffer, for to this you have been called. And when we suffer, when you suffer the first time someplace, you take a greater hit than anyone who will follow you. Think about your families. Many of our families are not believing in Christ. Matter of fact, they reject all angles of faith. They move much towards reason, much toward what's what's more rational. And they believe that to believe in anything supernatural is to check your brains at the Bible. For you to talk about Jesus, for you to talk about your need of forgiveness with an almighty God, you're going to get resistance. You're going to get rejection. But do it with gentleness and respect. Be bold, but do it with gentleness and respect. Think about your places of work. There's so many issues that are happening in our places of work. Some of us go, man, you won't believe the, how, lack of, how there's a lack of justice in the place that I work. I mean, things are not fair. People are getting promoted, and I'm getting ignored. And you could do all that. Love Jesus. Love people. Boldly reflect the gospel and see what God does with that. Oh, it's difficult, Joe. Well, think about your neighborhoods. Think about our neighborhoods here in Topeka. What it will take when people are resistant and people have rejected Christ and you who follow Christ. It's going to take a greater hit, but someone has to do it. And I would just say this. Everything that I have benefited from, someone has suffered for. Everything. First and foremost, my relationship with God. Jesus had to suffer for that. But even the benefits that I have, even the blessings that I have, even the things that we can ignore or neglect... Those are all blessings from God that someone had to suffer for. It's going to take us uh, to be a substitute, to be the first person to bring the gospel to places where it is dark. And then then as you look at the substitute of Christ, the third thing that we're going to experience when we suffer for Christ is we're going to learn more about the shepherd of Christ. Look at that last verse, verse 25 of 1 Peter 2. It says, For you were straying like sheep, Remember that image? Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. He says, but now you've returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. It's interesting, kind of the flip that happens here. He moves from Isaiah 53 to Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Because strayed sheep come back to the shepherd and we go, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He He leads me in the paths of righteousness. He restores my soul. I mean, we could could just go on and on, and I know I had fragments of it there, but it's the whole picture of Jesus. We start realizing his voice in our lives when we follow him, when we go through times of suffering. And you could tell me that too. Every one of you who followed Jesus through times of suffering and pain, you've learned his voice. You follow him quicker. You trust in him in a deeper way. So this summer... This summer, I got to go on a family vacation. We went up to northern Wisconsin. And in July, the, the state bird in Wisconsin is the mosquito. There are so many stinking mosquitoes. I don't know if you've ever done boundary water stuff up in Minnesota, but it's just crazy how many mosquitoes there are up there. But one night, it was a perfect night. We were at my brother's lake home, and my brother and my sister and my parents and my family were there. And the only one who wasn't there was my my sister who lives out in Napa, California. She wasn't able to come with her family. But we had a steak dinner, and then I said, let's do a family picture. And everyone went, okay. So we went, and we took this picture. And it was like one of those Nexus of the Universe pictures, okay? Everyone was smiling, even infants. They were looking at the camera. It was one of those rare moments. We took the picture. My son right in the, down on the bottom there. We had a little remote thing for his camera and took the picture. And I framed this and I put it up in my den. And every time I walked by it, I go, man, that's my family. This is awesome. And then the camera was put away and the smiles went away. And I thank the Lord for this family. Many of them in my family have been examples to me but it hasn't been without suffering. And I suppose if I were to take a picture of your family and everyone managed to smile at the same split second that mine did, you'd hear stories of suffering and pain. See, just in this picture alone, there's four cancer diagnoses. In this picture alone, there's couples dealing with infertility. In this picture alone, There's the death of two parents within six months of itself. There's one in this picture who deals every day with Crohn's disease. Incredible pain. Two diagnoses of heart disease. There's depression. There's anxiety. There's relational challenges in this picture. And then there's even moral challenges. In this picture. So folks we can all smile for a picture. But folks we're all having issues. With suffering and with pain. and With brokenness in this world. Folks the gospel engages this. It gets beneath the veneer. And when we're willing to engage this suffering. And this pain. And this trial and tribulation. In our, guess who becomes greater. Guess what starts to live in us the living hope of Jesus. So church, just hear me. We've gotten together and we probably could take a really cool picture in this room with everyone looking at the camera. But I know this week, we're all going to go through pain. There's all going to be suffering. Some of you may be rejected or resisted because of your faith, but draw near to God. Draw near to Jesus and trace your life with him when you're going through suffering. He lived The suffering servant so that we could trace our lives over his Draw near to the word open up your bible Get into the truth of god's word Read in first peter of those who have gone before you and trace your life over the word of god follow the word If you haven't opened up in a while most of its narrative and most of its people suffering we can draw near and see the examples of those who hung on to the hand of the Lord in times of suffering. And finally, draw near to your family, your church family here. Your brothers and sisters in Christ who are not perfect, far from perfect, but we're following someone who is perfect, Jesus Christ. Draw near. I've heard it all the time. I've heard it when people are going through pain. The church doesn't care. There's no one around. And, and what about small group? What, where, where, did you join any communities? Oh, I'm too busy for community. That's not a sustainable answer. It's not. Because we all have to endure. And God calls us to do this together inside a family. So draw near to your family. Would you stand with me as we close? I don't know what God is going to do with this message in your life. I trust the Holy Spirit to have freedom to make Jesus greater in your life than you ever could with the greatest prosperity in the world that through pain and suffering, you could draw so close to Jesus that you would love him so much and make him greater on earth as he is in heaven. So let me just pray for you and that that would happen. I trust you. Heavenly Father, thank you. We trust you right now, Father. We trust what you're doing in our lives. We may not be fully able to understand what you're doing or why you're doing it, but we know that you don't waste pain. You don't waste suffering. It's the very thing that you use, not only to advance the gospel but to deepen us as followers of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, that there's never an emotion, there's never a feeling, there's never a moment when you can't say, I understand, me too. You lived this before us, you suffered before us, you died so that we might have life and be brought back to God. Make, help, move in our life so that we can make you greater, through all things, in all circumstances. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week.